0: It's Friday and we are working for Crusoe. I'm John Ramey. Sam Park will join us shortly. On today's episode, the U.S. Federal Reserve raises interest rates to their highest point in 22 years. A snap election in Spain does not result in the big conservative victory that pundits had predicted. The presidential guard in Niger sparks a coup that has President Mohamed Bazoum under house arrest and a majority of African leaders invited to Vladimir Putin's Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg don't show up. We start with the Fed. The U.S. Central Bank raised its lending rate by a quarter point on Wednesday, a move widely anticipated by many in the financial world. It's the 11th rate increase since the Fed declared war on inflation back in March of 2022. This rate increase comes a month after the Fed failed to raise rates after 10 consecutive increases. And that pause in rate raising came after three U.S. banks failed in the springtime, Fed officials predict yet another rate increase will be coming later this year. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said in a news conference following the rate hike announcement that further hikes remain an option for the Fed in case the economy heats up and brings back increased upward pressures and inflation. As we discussed on last week's podcast, inflation in the United States is moderating, but the increased interest rates have not collapsed the job market, meaning no imminent recession. And the hopes of a so-called soft landing for the economy are still intact, Sam Park.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Not only uh, have has the interest rate hikes not uh, cooled the economy sufficient to cause a recession, uh, the Commerce Department reported yesterday that, in fact, second quarter growth was about 2.4% on an annualized basis. Uh, and so, I mean, that's not super hot, but it's uh, it's certainly not anywhere near a recession. Uh, And so I think that means that the Fed should feel that they have enough space for a future rate cut, as they've been saying that they've pretty much intend to do, or later this year, Uh, perhaps even more than one. If if, uh, third quarter GDP growth comes in in that same range, then uh, they might just say, look, let's get rid of inflation once and for all. Let's really just not take our boot off the neck of inflation, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, and and just get this over with. Because if the economy is still growing, uh, we can put inflation to bed once and for all. Uh, now, I'm not predicting that's what's going to happen, but I'm just saying that people shouldn't be surprised if it does. And let's face it, economic forecasters, are kind of taking it on the chin all this year, right? These guys get paid a fair amount of money to tell us what's going to happen. And by and large, they're not doing a good job. While, by the way, saying that it's the Federal Reserve that's not doing a good job, right? And so it's like, okay, sure, maybe the Fed's made some mistakes. How you doing, pal, right? I mean, (laughs) and and I, you know, it's just, it's, I find it, moderately amusing to see this happen every week.
0: If they get this uh, soft landing, <clears throat> they manage to stamp out inflation down to 2%, and they keep a robust job market, and the economy stays in a non-recession state. Is Jerome Powell a genius? I know that sounds silly, but that would be quite an amazing maneuver to have pulled off, quite a needle to have threaded.
1: Well, I don't know about genius, right? but. He's certainly not the dolt that some people seem to have made him out to be. Uh, And, like, John, you've mentioned a number of times uh, over the past, you know, while we've been discussing inflation this year, that the Fed really only has rather blunt tools to, to deal with inflation, and that's absolutely true, right? But Chairman Powell, along with the rest of the Fed governors, used the tools that they had in the way that they were supposed to use them. In the face uh,
0: of immense criticism.
1: Exactly. Uh, and it seems so far, it seems that uh, this has paid off for them. Now, things could change. There could, you know, some awful thing could happen, but that wouldn't be because of the Fed necessarily. Uh, the other thing I would say, without wanting to uh, stray too far into the realm of domestic politics, is that another person that was faulted for. Uh, the high rate of inflation was President Biden, uh, because it was said that uh, his uh, really high level of spending on stimulus programs at the beginning of his presidency really did stoke the fires of inflation. And I think that's probably true. But what he might or some of his surrogates might end up saying as the presidential campaign heats up is, "Okay, yeah, Our policies did contribute to inflation, but they also kept the economy ticking over, right? Uh, Our policies are one of the reasons why we have not suffered lots of job losses, right? Because our policies directly contributed to consumer spending, which all the time is two thirds at least of American gross domestic product. Consumer spending held up, So people didn't have to lay off lots of workers. And yes, that resulted in higher inflation, but it kept everybody working and it allowed the Fed to apply the tools that it had. Now, I'm sure that there are economists who would take issue with what some or all or at least most of what I've just said. I'm not an economist. They know better than I do. I'm not saying that that's what happened. I think it might be. But I am saying that this is the case that Biden and his team could make. That's all.
0: Spain's snap general election this past weekend surprised pollsters and pundits alike, Sam Park. Yes. Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, Spanish Socialist Workers Party, the PSOE, had performed badly in May in regional and municipal elections, and that precipitated his call for the general election. But Sanchez's party performed better than expected The PSOE increased its number of seats in Spain's lower legislative body, which is, as you know, the Congress of Deputies. Yes. And overall...
1: They have uh, no... They don't need any stinking badges, though. That's right. right.
0: Very good. (laughs) And in conjunction uh, with a left-wing coalition called uh, SUMAR, the Spanish left, writ large, captured 153 total seats in the lower house. You need 176 seats for an absolute majority... The Conservative Party, known as the People's Party, or the PP, picked up 47 more seats. But the far-right Spanish party, known as Vox, lost 19 seats. So the PP and Vox were expected to win big and have a coalition conservative majority, but they came up seven seats short of the 176-seat benchmark. So nobody has an absolute majority in the 350-seat lower house. PP leader Alberto Núñez Feijóo, And the prime minister, Sanchez, will meet uh, with King Felipe VI uh, in August. And then uh, the party leaders will talk to the king and figure out who's the best candidate to win MPs votes and become the prime minister.
1: That's right. And it was the performance of Vox, the far right party, that was the big surprise here. They were expected to do much better, partly because of those municipal elections that you talked about just now. Vox has had some success in entering municipal governments in different parts of Spain, and it was thought that they might be able to translate those municipal performances into a better performance on the national stage. Instead, as you say, they actually lost seats nationally. So it seems as though, and I will leave it to Spanish pollsters and pundits to confirm whether this is true, but it might be that some people would think, well, I don't mind having somebody from Vox as the mayor or a city councilor, right, but do I really want them running the national government? I'm not sure about that. Uh, And so uh, there was a huge sigh of relief amongst uh, the socialists, uh, that is Sanchez's party, uh, that that Vox underperformed, but also amongst the left and center-left generally across Europe. For example, in Germany, uh, the AfD—that uh, is, AfD in English, uh, Alternative for Deutschland—they uh, are the far-right party there. They have also been making gains in municipal governments across Germany, uh, and to the point where, in polls, they are now the second most popular party. Uh, now, mind you, there are many parties in Germany, so it's not like you know they're—they've got a, you know tons of people that are like. The, first, the most popular party is probably pulling in the 20s, percentage-wise, right? Uh, but still, that for the IFD to be the second most popular party, that's alarming. So people in Germany might hope that the same sort of dichotomy between uh, municipal and national elections could hold in other parts of Europe, just as it did in Spain.
0: And if we're just thinking positively, it means that Spain has kind of bucked a Lurch to the right trend that seems to have been taking root, as you mentioned, across least, Europe.
1: At least forestalled it, right? I mean, uh, because uh, let's face it, the right is on the rise across Europe. There's no denying that. Uh, but it might not be this wave that people seem to, uh, at, at the, you know, from my perspective, be very justifiably afraid of. and people don't want to see that happen, and it seems as though. Uh, they, their fears of it might be a bit overblown, but I think, you know, they have every right to be on guard.
0: Gosh, uh, I, I wonder if there's any, uh, historical example of uh right-wing nationalism going poorly in Europe.
1: I I think there might be one or two. I'll have to uh, see, you know, let's, we'll, we'll table that. Let's see <laughs> if, if our, any of our listeners can perhaps, you know, keep those cards and letters coming and let us know if they can think of anything. Uh, but, uh, this story is not over. There, there could end up being another election in Spain very soon if nobody's able to form a government, which doesn't seem at all unlikely.
0: Just uh, as a footnote, in Spain, the uh, two houses, bicameral, like the United States, you have the Congress of Deputies, and then you have a Senate. Yes. But the lower house is more powerful. Yes, that's right. To Africa. On Wednesday, members of the Presidential Guard surrounded President... Mohammed Bazoum's house in Niger.
1: The presidential palace, that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And detained him. Mutinous soldiers then claimed to have overthrown Bazoum via an announcement late Wednesday on state television. Uh, The mutineers cited deteriorating security within Niger as their motive for the coup. Soldiers, that is the mutinous soldiers, said all institutions had been suspended and security forces were managing the situation. They also urged external partners not to interfere. Reports from the capital city of Niamey Thursday yesterday indicate people are going about their business as usual, but no one really knows who is in charge of Niger. Two years ago, President Bazoum was elected and came to power in Niger's first peaceful transfer of power since they became independent from France in 1960. And Bazoum is a key ally in the West's efforts to battle jihadists linked to al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Bazoum tweeted that the hard-won achievements will be safeguarded and those who love democracy and freedom in his country will see to it. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, spoke to Bazoum by phone on Wednesday, told reporters yesterday, Thursday, he was extremely worried about the situation and he warned of terrible effects on development and civilians due to, quote, successive unconstitutional changes of government. Bazoom is seen by many in the West as the last hope for partnership with the West in the African region known as the Sahel, Sam, which is an east-west region running coast-to-coast from the Atlantic to the Indian Ocean, south of the Sahara, and north of the Sudanian Savannah. Mali just turned away from France and sought support from the Russian mercenary group Wagner. Mali in that region, right? That's Russia good. and the
1: at the Burkina Faso.
0: Yeah. Russia and the West have been vying for influence in this region. Wagner reportedly has its sights on Niger, partly because Niger produces uranium. Quite a lot of it, in fact. Some analysts said Bazoum was an impediment to Wagner because of his pro-French and pro-Western views. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin is hosting his second Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg, Forty-three heads of state were invited, only seventeen have shown up. The big no shows, leaders of Kenya, Nigeria, Rwanda, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. So the leaders of the biggest countries in Africa have told Putin, nah. Now these Apart two, from these South two Africa, things, that is. Right. These two things are very linked. Yes,
1: in, in many ways, although apparently not directly. First of all, uh when the coup first happened many Nigerians came out onto the streets of Niamey to protest against the coup. Uh, And at that point, the military uh, was also opposed to the coup. They switched sides subsequently uh, and then backed the coup the following day, at which point many civilians came out onto the streets protesting in favor of the coup. Uh, And I should say, by the way, that some of the television footage I saw of the pro-coup protests, uh, some of the people on the street were carrying Russian flags.
0: I also saw that.
1: Now, John, it seems to me, and if you can think of a third alternative, I'd love to hear it, uh, but th- th- there are only two ways this happens: One, people just happen to have Russian flags lying around at their home that they could bring out on the street.
0: In at nature. such
1: a time as it becomes appropriate to do so. Or somebody was handing them out. Uh, again, if there's a third possibility, I'd like to. I'd love it if somebody could tell me what that is, but I just can't think of what that might be. Uh, the other thing I would say is that as of today, actually, the head of the presidential guard, who were the segment of the armed forces that mounted the coup, his name is General Chiani, uh, has announced that he's now in charge. Uh, also, uh, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who was visiting uh, New Zealand uh, yesterday, uh, condemned, of course, this action. Uh, I suspect he's in New Zealand because the weather's much nicer there right now. But he condemned the coup, but he did not say the word coup because uh, if he did... Uh, it would uh, he, they would require the United States to end security cooperation with Nigeria, Niger, that is. Uh, and that's not a step that the United States is willing to take at this juncture at least. Perhaps they will in the future. But as you say,, uh, all across the Sahel, from the from Guinea on the west coast of the African continent to Sudan, on the east coast of the African continent, every country in a line from coast to coast has experienced, if not a full-on coup, then some sort of, like the Civil War in Sudan, for example, uh, since 2020. Yes, I believe this is the seventh since 2020. Something like that, yes. Uh, The point I would like to make is that uh, even though the Russia-Africa summit yesterday doesn't seem to have gone especially well for Vladimir Putin. The United States, apart from security measures, is just broadly taking its eye off the ball in Africa, I would say. Mind you, it's a very big and complicated ball on which to keep your eye. Uh, But uh, when Putin tries to champion the global South, He has some people willing to go onto the street in the Ame and wave the Russian flag with seemingly very little prompting. Uh, And the other point I would make is that eluded me until the Niger coup happened, is that when Putin is making a case like this, sure, he'd like to appeal to the people of the Global South, but all he really needs to do is appeal to the military leaders of those countries, right? Uh, he doesn't have to actually have command of the large support of their populations. If he can get people in the military to stage coups, then uh, he can project his power that way. And I'm not directly attributing this coup to uh, Russia, but I'm not saying that they had nothing to do with it either.
0: Certainly, they're not unhappy about it.
1: No, and by the way, one of the people who praised the coup yesterday at the uh, uh, in Saint Petersburg at the Russian Africa summit was Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was at the summit in Saint Petersburg, his hometown, of course. Uh, but I think this helps explain why, you know, to the confusion of Rus- of Western commentators, including ourselves, by the way. Uh, why have no retaliatory measures been taken against Prigozhin for his attempted mutiny against the Russian military? Part of it is because Wagner is how Putin projects power in Africa. And yeah, they want to incorporate Wagner into the Russian military, but that's not something you can just snap your fingers and get done right away. That takes some time. Prigozhin, I think we have to imagine has some personal relationships by now amongst his African clientele. uh, And that might not be an easy thing to replace either. Uh, And in this show, I mean, I felt kind of like a dunce, frankly, for not having pieced this together earlier. But I don't feel like that big a dunce because I haven't heard anybody else piece it together. And so, you know, but it just goes, when I say that the West has taken our its eye off the ball in Africa, I mean us too, right? We don't spend enough, and as I mentioned in our episode about the elections in Nigeria, people just don't spend enough time looking at, thinking about, talking about Africa. But as the 21st century proceeds, it will be the most important region on earth. And if people don't start to understand this today, Uh, they're going to miss things and they're going to be surprised about things that ought not to surprise them.
0: If we're being cynical, is this newsworthy mostly because there's uranium there that Russia and the West both want?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think that gradually uh, people are sort of coming around to the idea that Africa is important. And I think, as I was just saying, I think that's all to the good that they should do so, right? I mean, but after a while, it's just like Sudan, like we've talked over and over again about how important the thing in Sudan is and how it's really not getting enough coverage. But it has gotten some. It's not like nobody's talking about it, all right? The coup in Niger now uh, following so closely on the heels of of, uh, of the problems in Sudan. If this keeps up, it just won't be able to be ignored, uh, much longer uh, because the, inst- the again it's a band of instability all across the the width of the entire continent. After a while, there's just no way that this can can go unaddressed. By the way, there's a migration crisis going into Europe. Do you really think that th- this th- is going to help with that? Uh, and so, uh, people are going to need to start paying more attention. For example, to his credit, President Biden hosted a much larger summit of African leaders in in Washington, D.C. last year. Uh, Unfortunately, that summit was not very widely covered by our media, to their shameful discredit, I think, right? Because this is important, right? Uh, People in our media just have blinders on about africa they just think of it as this well this mysterious place where all these awful things happen uh put people on the ground send your reporters there you don't have any by the way the funniest thing that that happens all the time is when news happens abroad it's just like let's go to our correspondent standing outside on the street in London, which is nowhere near where this actual story is happening. But not in
0: this studio, so it'll give some effect of movement and drama.
1: Maybe we can't afford to keep a studio in London, so we have to put them out on the street. Uh, You know, oh, but we can't actually put anybody, you know, send anybody there. We have to rely on, you know, Reuters, right? Or, you know, some stringer Freelancer that you know we can report on this for us, right? Uh, meanwhile, we've got you know 30 people in the studio in New York, right? Uh, you know, all talking about Donald Trump all the time, right? Uh, now, mind you, that's an important story, right? But guess what? Who in Niger? Yeah, that's kind of important, actually, right? Uh, and so. Again, I just hope people can start to wise up about stuff like this, and that's one of the reasons I'm glad that we talk about it on this podcast. John, I I think we can be very certain that uh stories in Africa are going to be occupying a greater amount of our time in the future, unfortunately, because you very few of these stories are good.
0: And I just think on a fundamental level, you know, geography explains so much of what happens around the world you and I talk about this all the time the way Africa is reported upon in the United States and perhaps more broadly in the West although you consume more European media than I do
1: they do a better job
0: just the way we talk about Africa like like it's a country right like people often make that error and say the country of it's it's not It, it it's a continent with a bunch of different nations in it and a bunch of different kinds of people in it, yeah, with a bunch of different 50 kinds of share problems. There is
1: more than twenty million people. Twenty million people. This is large place, right now. Mind you, their next door neighbor has two hundred million people, but uh, that you know, they're different countries. They have a lot of problems, and there's no coherent analysis of them, and that's partly wh- why. Uh, uh, someone like Putin can make any case at all. This offer, or, Cha- made, or Xi or
0: she in China, for that matter. Well,
1: at least China does lots and lots and lots of trade with Africa, right? Much, much more than Russia does.
0: As opposed to just kind of military flexing, right?
1: Exactly. We'll sell you some guns, basically. That's you know what else does Russia have to offer be, the, these people except now, free grain? All right. Uh, by the way, a rather paltry amount of free grain the only six countries with which they already have uh, friendly relations, including, you know, stationed Wagner personnel there, right? Uh, It's a laughable offer in so many ways. Uh, And, okay, you want to be the, you know, the champion of the global South, Vladimir Putin. Uh, Do you really think that these countries want to be your charity cases that they want you to be your patron and benefactor? Is that really how you think this relationship should go? Uh, And so I don't want to make too big a deal of this uh, offer of grain because it's really so much less than Putin seems to want people to think it is. Uh, And...
0: Hey, man, if you really wanted grain to get to Africa, maybe you could stop your illegal war against the Ukrainians. Right,
1: exactly. You know, I mean, the only reason this is a problem is because you made it a problem. And everybody knows that. How stupid do
0: you think these people are? Well, that brings up an interesting point because in articles I've read about Vladimir Putin and interviews I've heard with experts on Russia and Putin in particular, he might actually think they're kind of stupid because Putin's rather uh, notoriously racist.
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, and. The whole thing is so cynical, right? It's not right. just that he's racist, right? He, he thinks that this is actually going to work, right? He thinks that he can talk to people like this uh, and have them respond. By the way, uh, you know, not too many people seem to want to come to your summit, right? Uh, as opposed to Joe, seventeen
0: Biden. out of forty-three, and and many from the biggest countries just said no thanks.
1: Yeah, no thanks. You know, I mean what what I mean and honestly some of the footage I saw people didn't look especially enthusiastic about being there. Mind you, at the same time, on the same day, yesterday in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, uh they were celebrating essentially their, their national establishment day, right? Yesterday was the 70th anniversary of the signing of the armistice that brought the Korean conflict to an end. Not the war, mind you, which is officially still going on, uh, but it was then that Korea was basically partitioned into two countries, North and South. Large military parade in Pyongyang, as they often have, uh, including uh, Sergei Shoigu, the, uh, the Russian defense minister. Uh, and, and so, okay, African countries, this is a client state of... Russia, and China. Is this where you want to end up? Right? Uh, uh, Which I thought was an interesting split screen. Right? Uh, Just like, okay, well, um, I don't know, really. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can't make it this weekend. Sorry.
0: I bet St. Petersburg is nice this time of year, too. I
1: bet it is, actually. Uh, It might might be unseasonably warm, just like every other place
0: yeah send your thoughts questions comments suggestions to john at gmail.com if you are so inclined and that will do it for us this week for sam park i am john ramey we are working for crusoe have yourselves a good weekend
1: stay cool everybody